few uh, months ago. We started with Daniel part one. And the reason we broke it up into two different uh, groups because it's 12 chapters, and if I do a 12-week sermon series, people stop coming. Uh, <laughs> right? There's part truth to that. But the other part is, is that the book itself is actually uh, divided up into two major sections. There is the, the first six chapters are more biographical. The second six chapters are more uh, prophetic. Right, And so the first six chapters lets us see what God does in an individual's life and through faithfulness on, on the individual scale. The second six talks more of the bigger brush strokes, what God is doing in the world and throughout history. It really is a fascinating thing. And so because the book naturally divides up into those two, we, we divided the book in half for this series as well. So uh, that's where we're going to be starting. Are we ready to go? Okay, we should be. All right, there we go. All right, and so um, we have a memory verse we're going to start out with. Oh, okay, there we go. Um, and so our memory verse starting with this is Daniel uh, chapter 7, verse 27, and it says this, His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. And that really summarizes the heart of this chapter, and it's so powerful. And I will tell you this passage and, and this chapter can give you so much peace, especially in a world like we live in today. That is just powerful truth. I think in this world, you know, we are so politically charged right now. As in, in, but I, I realized something that, and, and I was putting this series together, is that every time in life, whatever is on the news cycle seems like it's the biggest, most important thing ever, doesn't it? I mean, it doesn't matter what we're going through. At the moment, it seems like this is the only, the biggest thing, and the world's going to collapse, and it's all going to fall apart, and, and you know, God's got it. He's got it. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. We're not to worry about it. It's not going to be toppled. Right? There's going to be bad dudes that are in charge for a while. But ultimately, all rulers are going to worship and obey him. The ones who have true power and ultimate power and everlasting, the good guy wins. God wins. And we get to see how in the next six chapters of Daniel. It's an amazing thing. So if you have your Bibles, please turn them to Daniel chapter 7. That's on page 619 if you have one of our Bibles. If you forgot your Bible or need one, we've got plenty of them in the back. Please help yourself to them. There's a little bookshelf there. We also have these nice little uh, bookmarks, by the way, in those seat front, uh, the pockets in front of you in your seat. Um, got a bunch of tools for you. Those are for you to take if you want. Um, nice little bookmark helps you stay where you, you want to be. And uh, very good. So as we turn there, you're going to notice that uh, there are, in the book of Daniel, uh, the second half, there are basically four major visions that the prophet gets over his period. Now, if you want to read about his life or understand what happened, we'd, uh, that's the first six chapters. Also, if you missed that series, it's, uh, it's on funchurch.com, and uh, you can uh, listen to us as we talk about those first six chapters about what happened in Daniel's life. Really amazing things, like he got thrown into a lion's den and came out all right. And, I mean, God did all kinds of cool stuff, speaking through dreams and all this. But in the second sixth, God, through his Daniel's life, this prophet's life, gives him four major visions of, of what's going to happen in the world, right? Preparing us for the times of the end. And so these prophets, these things are, uh, we have uh, visions of four beasts, and there's a, a vision that we have of like this, this ram and this goat, a uh, pretty cool one. And then there's a vision of these 70 crazy weeks. And then there's the vision of the end of, t- of the days, right? And um, so we'll be going through that in seven weeks, and uh, today we get to talk about the, uh, the four beasts and the beauty. And so I call this one the beauty and the four beasts, or the beauty and the beasts. 
Okay, so we're going to begin by examining the interpretation, and, or examining the prophecy, and then we're going to look at the uh, interpretation that it gives in Scripture, and then talk about how it applies to our life. So let's look at the vision as it's described, starting in, in verse 1 that's up here, 7, 1 is on that uh, thing there, and it talks about the time that it happens. It's in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, and Daniel has a dream, and God spoke to Daniel through these these prophetic dreams, which were not like everyday dreams. People were like, well, he just had a dream. How do you know it was different? Well, Daniel was an old man, uh, you know, not, not when he had this one, but he, he was a guy that had lived a while. He had lots of dreams. Uh, somehow the prophet understood. This one is from God, and this one is just from my pizza that I had last night, right? He, he was able to, to adjust. This one made into Scripture. God told him something amazing, and you'll see in, in the Word why we know this is actually from God. And he received it from that first year, and that was about 550 B.C., when uh, Belshazzar became co-regent with his father, Nabonidus. And if you want to read about that, it's right near the end of when the the empire of Babylon fell to Persia. It was right before that happened. So it looked like Babylon was huge. It was an indestructible uh, empire at that particular time. It also looked like it was an empire that was uh, falling into deep corruption. It was uh, um, all of the gods from around the world, all the little um, idols were being collected and brought into uh, the Babylon area, which is, it's a, it was a crazy time. And Daniel has this vision at that point. Now, the perspective of, of the vision, we get there. This chapter 2 um, talks about these very same events. In chapter 2, the king has a vision about a statue. And in this one, the prophet has a vision about beasts. And we can see that it, it talks about the same real world empires. They, they really they tie together. I thought it was interesting, though. The king had a vision of what the world empires look like from a human perspective. They look like a beautiful statue. Right? It looks strong and mighty and gorgeous and all these things, and eventually the stone that was not cut by human hands would come and destroy it and then be an everlasting kingdom. This one, instead of looking at what the kingdoms of, the, of this empire, the, uh, of this world, look like from the outside, from a human perspective, I think this talks about from the inside, from God's perspective. The character of these empires were beasts. And Daniel the prophet gets to look at it from that perspective and look at say, what is God doing in the midst of these things? Now, the details of the vision, uh, we have the beasts that came from the sea, right? That's the, the vision. So it starts in verse 2. It says, Daniel, in my vision I looked, and there before me were four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. And the four great beasts, each from a, uh, different from each other, came out of the sea. And the first was like a lion, and it had wings of an eagle. And I watched until the wings were tore off, and it was lifted up off the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being. And then... The mind of a human was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. and It was raised up on, on one side, and it had three ribs in its mouth and its teeth. And, I was told, and it was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. And after that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. Uh, um, and it had uh, on its back four wings like those of a bird. These beasts had four heads, and it was uh, given authority to rule. And after that, in my vision, at night I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, a terrifying and frightening and powerful beast. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. And when I was thinking about the, the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up from among them, and the three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes like the, like the eyes of a human being and the mouth that spoke boastfully. As they looked, thrones were set in place, and we'll get on to that part next. Crazy vision. 
And the first thing we notice is that these beasts came out of the sea. And there was wind from all the four corners of the earth. Now, in the prophetic portion, the sea talks about humanity, right? You think about tumultuous and all of this. These beasts came out of humanity. There's other places in Scripture that talk about um, the sea being like humanity. One of them is Revelation, which actually has a lot of parallels that we see in this. And so out of humanity, out of the sea of humanity, this wild, crazy, wind-struck place of, of humanity, these four empires will emerge. These are human kingdoms. And the, what we also notice about these is that there was winds of heaven over the top. Now, there's a lot of different doctrines or ideas as to what these winds talk about. Some talk about, well, it's the whole scope of humanity from all four corners of the, of the world, right? These are the, one, the four main ones that God wants us to focus on because uh, he's telling us something important about these four empires. It could also be talking about God's sovereignty over the sea. God is not... Uh, <laughs> He's not subjugated to, to human will or human power. He's above it. And uh, so God's power is, is there. Anyway, so God's omnipresent sovereignty might be it. But regardless, we then see that there's different uh, beasts. The first one is the winged lion. It's a lion. It's big. It's tough. It's got uh, two wings on its back. And then it's also, it was uh, caused to stand up like a man and uh, was given a mind of a human. And so, and... Uh, a human heart given to it. So then we say, what, who is this? Well, if we look at chapter 2, the, the prophecy there, Daniel makes it very clear. He says this is the head of gold for the statue. This is the first of the four great empires. This is Babylon. And uh, the lion makes sense. I mean, you look at Babylonian um, architecture, things like that. Like we have the eagle, it represents our country. The lion represented Babylon, which is pretty cool. And uh, also talked about its, its, uh, its power. Right, that the lion is a, a king of the beasts, and it was very powerful. The wings talked about its ability to go and to dominate. Right, it could travel different places. It could it could move, but the wings were plucked off, and it was made to stand up and give the mind like a man. And uh, this, of course, happened when uh, Nebuchadnezzar had his. Uh, pretty embarrassing time when he thought he was a beast for a while, a cow, and then God gave him his mind back. And do you know what happened to the Babylonian Empire after that is it stopped being expansionist. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar never led his army into war again after that moment. And uh, he had this, the, if you read in, uh, when this happens, chapter 2 and, and, uh, or uh, chapter uh, 4, he has uh, this opportunity to, uh, to recognize that he's not in control of it. And he writes this beautiful uh, thing about who who really is sovereign and it's God, and the kingdom of of Babylon stopped going and being this aggressor. At that point, it was it's really a fascinating thing. So that of course was already fulfilled. Um, most of those were fulfilled when we had the uh, when Daniel had this vision. Then we have the next one, which um, is the the lopsided bear. And so it's got ribs in its mouth, right? It's raised up on one side. It's kind of hunched over, right? If you remember in the uh, the statue, it was the chest of silver like this. Um, and uh, they had ribs in its mouth that were between its teeth. And it was it told, hey, listen, get up, go and just eat your fill of flesh. Go and eat. And so the lopsided bear, we know it's uh, Persia. Let's go back. Uh, is Persia. And... Uh, why lopsided? Because the media Persian Empire, which is fascinating. Persia had more power than the media empire, right? But they were together. Kind of like the, the chest of silver had two arms on it. This was a, it was uh, lopsided. And so um, it talks about that. Now, the, the, uh, the uh, three ribs in its mouth, 
uh, refer to or, or were predicting the three major victories that Persia was going to have over Babylon, over um, Egypt, over Syria, and over Babylon, and its major uh, conquests. And isn't it interesting that they have three major conquests that it, as it expands out, it has these uh, things, and that's when it comes into power. Then uh, we have this uh, four-headed leopard with wings, and it has uh, four wings and four heads, and uh, it says, to whom dominion was given, the ability to rule. How interesting. Over the other ones, this, this one had the ability to rule. There's some things that we, we look at this, we see it's obviously it's grease, it's the, uh, it's the belly and, and the, tor- or the legs of the or top part of the legs of, um, of bronze. Um, and, of course, we know grease being Bronze Age, the, the Spartans and their shields and all this. But we have this, uh, this uh, four heads and four wings, and we see that it was uh, the, the wings talk about its ability to move quickly. In fact, in a later praf- uh, prophecy, it talks about this particular empire, how very fast it would expand. And we look at under Alexander the Great, how quickly the empire of Greece expanded. It was crazy. And it went further and faster than anyone thought possible. And uh, the four heads really are, are talking about the four major generals that were help, uh, part of this empire. And they were ferocious, right? And they were quick. And uh, when Alexander the Great died, the empire was divided amongst these four heads. Interesting that the prophet predicted that hundreds of years before. No one was even looking at Greece as being a serious contender at this point. And he's like, no, not only are they going to be there, not only are they going to expand rapidly, but they're going to be four leaders. Unbelievable. All right. So then we have the last one, which is the beast. Um, I am having difficulty. There we go. The dreadful and terrible beast. It's exceedingly strong. Right? It's different than all the other ones. It's got huge iron teeth. Right? It's, it's, it's just a totally different thing. I like the picture of this one. That's why I picked this because it looks so silly. Right? I think that the beast in, in Daniel's dream was probably a little more scary looking than that. But it was crazy. And one of its things, its main weapon wasn't gorging people with its horns. It was trampling things down. Anything that got in its way would just stomp to the ground. Right? And it was different than the others. Of course, it has horns, crazy horns all over it. And it's got the, the crazy things where it has like the, the ten horns and then one little one comes up and it roots out the other ones. And it's a little more uh, detailed than the rest of these. Well, we see that, uh, that the ten horns was, uh, uh, had uh, eyes on it. One of the little horns had the human eyes on it. And then it starts speaking boastfully. Right? It rips out three other horns and all these things. And it's like, it's just it's just a hot mess, this particular beast, right? And uh, it's very strange. Well, we know the beast is Rome. Um, those are the legs of iron. If it's highest to chapter 2, and uh, interesting, the teeth of iron, it would go through and just be um, very hard to destroy. And uh, we have the ten horns. Uh, those probably talk about the ten uh, emperors or kings of the time of Christ right, in, in Rome um, who were there. And... Uh, so he's pointing to saying, okay, this is going to be Rome, and this is going to be at the time of that there's going to be these ten kings, and there's going to be one who basically overthrows three, and at that particular time is to be boastful and all of this. We have the beasts. Now let's talk about the beauty. At that time, if you see, we, we have these crazy things. Now let me just pause for a second. Isn't it crazy how the prophet, this was 700 years before Christ, that he nails it, not only with the king's vision, right, the, the prophet of the statue, but then in his own. 
right? He, he prophesies there are going to be four major empires in this region, right? And this is the character and the nature of these empires. You have Babylon is going to be like this lion, but it's going to change and be more civil. And you have, you're going to have this bear like Persia. It's going to be able to just rip through things and just devour. This is going to be the nature of this thing. And it's going to be lopsided. It's going to be two uneven parts. Or that you're going to have the Greeks, right? They're going to come in and they're going to be fast and they're going to conquer really quickly. And they're going to be expand Grecian rule like really far. And there's going to be four leaders in it. Like, and then there's going to become a new empire that's unlike any that's ever come before it. And we see Rome and, and how it dominated and how it just trampled basically all these other societies underfoot. That he knew not only the number of empires, but their very nature and character. That's one of the reasons why when we look at prophecy, we recognize that this, the Bible is not just come from humans. It didn't make this stuff up. It, it's an f- amazing thing. Now, those are things that we can look back to in human history and we say, okay, I see that those things happen. Now, let's talk about some things that are really amazing that give us hope. And and we start with that, with the beauty of God's judgment. Verses 9 through 12, it says, I looked, and there were thrones in place, and the Ancient of Day took his seat, and his clothing was as white as snow, and his hair of his head was white like wool, and his throne was flaming with fire, and his wheels were all ablaze. And the river of fire was flowing, coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And uh, when I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking, I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In this my vision I looked, and there before me was one, like a son of man, coming in the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. And we start with the judgment, right? That first there was thrones being placed, and it's interesting your thought that God is now setting up a court. He's looking at these beasts and all the terrible things that they're doing, right? And they have dominion for a while, And then God sets up these thrones, and he sets it up. It's very formal. Everything is done absolutely right. And he has the authority. We know it's not just chairs. These are thrones. That those, the God who has true authority to judge the world is going to judge the world. And regardless of what the beasts wanted to think about it, the God who can judge the world has the authority to do so. His throne is the true throne. And we look at his, how he's described, and it's like his garment is pure white. And in Scripture we see, you know, and especially in prophecy, he's perfect. There's no stain. He's, he's not like human rulers or human beings in general, right? He's absolutely pure. In the New Testament it says, and God is light and in him is no darkness whatsoever. That means there's no corruption. There's not even a hint of corruption in God. There's not a hint of wrongness in him. He is absolutely righteous. And if you think about the word righteous, it means he always does what is right. Always. And we look at the, the hair, it's like wool, right? It's, it's white. It's, it's thick, right? He's beautiful. But also, it's this. It talks about his age. That God has been around for a very long time. He's older than all of these beasts, and he will continue to exist far beyond when they're past. He is an eternal eternality of this authority. And he shows up and he takes his seat, right? And then he pronounces judgment. And it was like in chapter 2 when we saw the statue being built, right? And you have Rome, then splits in the Roman Empire, the feet of iron and clay. And then a stone not cut from human hands goes and blows it up. And then this, this mighty mountain of an empire 
grows. That's the beginning of the church. said that the church would begin during the Roman Empire and eventually subdue it. We see this then from heaven's picture. We see God coming in judgment against these nations. He let them exist for a while, but at the time of the Roman Empire, there was judgment. And God destroyed that empire. In fact, it said completely destroyed it. Right? It's, uh, I think that's a, it's, it's so devastating. Given over to the fire. Isn't it interesting that that's exactly how Rome ended, being sacked and burned? I think it's so cool. God says, I'm going to judge this. It's going to be the time of Rome in which there's going to be a, a change in authority on this earth. It used to be these beasts and these governments, but I'm setting up a new government, and it's going to happen here, now, during this empire. And there was going, that empire, Rome, which was so destructive and so horrible, would be absolutely destroyed. And we look before God, and it says that there's lots of attendants, right? Tens of thousands before him, tens of, of, tens of thousands that were ministering right before him. Talking about his outreach and his power and his ability, right? God's dominion and his rule is far bigger than any of these kingdoms ever could be. And it was eternal and I like the throne with the fire, right? It's got fiery wheels, right? It's like the original Hot Wheels. It's God, right? He's got a throne that's it's on wheels because his kingdom can go anywhere. It's not just stuck in one spot. His, his, his rule is not stuck into the Middle East. He is the God of all places. His throne can go anywhere, right? And it's powerful. It's pure. That is the way of our God. And so even before him, there's this coming down before him or just like a, a river of almost flame, right? It's an amazing thing that out from God comes an unimaginable power. And it just flows out and, and around him. Are, he's not a God that just is, is in the closet or this quiet. Or, he's worshipped and he's served. And this is the true God. And even though the beasts looked like they were trampling and having their day, the reality was that their day was numbered. And God wasn't shaken in the tiniest bit. So cool. And so we have this judgment of the four beasts, and, and so God's seated, and then the books were open. And I love that because it's just like God, he opens these books. What's there in the books? I don't know, but I think that that's obviously helped him in his judgment. I think God is, is looking through human history, and the details don't, don't, they don't go by him. There's not, there are not wrongs that will not be punished. There are not things that the, that the world has done and its brokenness that will not be, uh, that will not be uh, uh, made right. right. God has recorded even the details. And he goes through, and it's not just God's capricious will that he wanted to destroy these beasts. He goes in and he says, this is why they will be destroyed. Because God does everything right. And everything he does is right. And it's not just because God wants to destroy them. It talks the difference between our God and the ones that humans make up. And my son right now has started a new class on the Greek gods which are basically just people with a little extra power. And they just do whatever they want. And there is no such thing as justice. But with our God, there is justice. And God does what is right, always. And he destroys these kingdoms, not because he dislikes them, but because they were wicked for what they had done. And he does. He destroys them. And then it says that he destroys the first one, which is the beast, the, the crazy one with the horns and the eyes and all this kinds of stuff. And then it says the other ones were already destroyed, which is interesting. It talks about the order. But not only were they already destroyed, it says that they'd still exist, which they did. Persia was still there. Babylon was still there. Right? Greece was still there. But they were all subjugated to that fourth beast. But they existed for a time. 
I mean, he even predicted the way that these empires would, would be. It's amazing. But he also said that uh, the judgment would come at the time of the giant beast during the Roman Empire. And uh, uh, there we go. And so we have the judgment of the great powerful beast, the one with us. He gets tossed in the flames, and he's gone. Then we have the rest of the beasts, and, and they're gone. And then we have the coronation of the Son of Man. Now, this was the one part that blew my mind when I was studying this. I had a year to study this, this passage. And I will tell you, there are as many different interpretations of how this goes down as there are probably people, right? And so I'm going to say I'm not going to be dogmatic about this because there's a lot of smart Christians that disagree with me, and there's a lot of ones that agree, okay? <laughs> so let's start there. But when I was reading this, I always thought about the coronation, that this portion, it said that he would be coming down, right? That, but what it says is, is that he was going up into the clouds of heaven. That's how he arose, which changes the timeline for me. And if you disagree with me, it's okay. We could still be brothers and sisters, and we're probably all in the same place, right? But, but the, the Hebrew there says he came up. The coronation was at an ascension. And it says, uh, this is what it says, and even Jesus, he quotes this uh, um, during his, uh, his trial and everything. Uh, it says, um, I looked before me, there was one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He was raising up. And as he approached the Ancient of Days, And was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Do you know when this happened? The ascension of Jesus. He prophesied there's going to be a regime change. And when did it happen? When Jesus ascended. And a new kingdom was built on this earth. In fact, it's a couple of days after that we have Pentecost. And the kingdom of God, a completely different kind of kingdom, began. And guess what? There are people worshiping Jesus in every language today, in every continent, in every country. Think about that. It's happened. The prophet predicted hundreds of years before Christ came that not only that he would come and set his kingdom, but the way that it would begin. And that Jesus came up into the, into the clouds of heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of God, right? In authority. His authority and his rule are real. And this is the reality of where we are now. People say, well, where in the four beasts are we? There. An everlasting kingdom. Isn't it amazing to see yourself in Scripture? The power of God. It's so cool. And so he was brought near the ancient of days, showing that who can approach God? God himself. God the Son. Ah, I'm going to get new batteries, I think. All right. And so we see the coronation. The man uh, is one like the Son of Man. Jesus talks about himself many times in Scripture as the Son of Man. Right? He's, he's saying, listen, God came as a person. The, the incarnation was already predicted 700 years before Jesus came. And Jesus identifies with this many times. He says, I God, but I'm also you. I'm also hu- human. And he comes in the clouds of heaven. He's brought near the ancient of days. And oh, oh now I did it. <laughs> there you go. And he's given dominion and glory and all this and all people and all languages. They worship him and his kingdom won't be destroyed. Doesn't that give you peace as far as those of the people of God that the church, the kingdom of God will not be destroyed? No matter what happens in this world, the church continues to persist. It's an amazing thing. I mean, right there, that passage is just really cool. But then Daniel's like, hey, I would like to get interpretation of this. 
because he's troubled in his spirit. He's like, what is this? I, I see what you did. And he, I'm sure that he saw the correlations, but there were some details that he said was a little different than the original one. He's like, I don't I want to get this. And so we, we turn to verse 15, and uh, we read, uh, it says, I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit, and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. And so I approached one of those standing near and asked them, what's the meaning of this? And so he took hold of me, and he gave me the interpretation of these things. The, first, uh, the four beasts are the four kings that will rise from the earth, but the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. I love how he emphasizes that. Then I watched, I wanted to know the meaning of the four beasts, uh, the fourth beast, which was terrible and different from all the other ones. And uh, we had iron teeth and bronze claws. The beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled them underfoot wherever he left. I wanted to know about the ten horns and its head and the other horn that came up before which three of them fell and the horn that looked more imposing than all the others that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. So as I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them. Again, the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High. And the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Then he gave me this explanation. The fourth beast is the fourth kingdom that will appear on the earth, and it will be different from all the other kingdoms, and it will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. Then ten horns are the ten kings who will come up from this kingdom, and there will be another king that will arise and will subdue the three kings. And he will speak against the Most High and oppress the Most Holy People and try to change the set and set the times and the laws. The Holy People will be delivered into the hands for a time and times and half a time. But the court will sit and the power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty and the power and the greatness of all the kingdoms of their heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High, and his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and his rulers will all worship and obey him. This is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled in my thoughts, and my face turned pale, and I kept this matter to myself. There's a crazy interpretation. Daniel, isn't it helpful to know that even the prophets, when they saw these things, were like, What? So he asked for a heavenly interpretation, and God knows that sometimes what is seen is better than what is told, right? If you have a show and tell show, right? So God shows him another vision to, to explain this to him. And so we see the parallels between chapter 2 and chapter 7. And we even see it in the Bible explained that way. There's a rise of four earthly empires, the supernatural establishment of an everlasting kingdom, and an eternal kingdom would arise and destroy the fourth, fourth empire. So it gives us a time stamp. It also tells us these things that happen. There's a lot of parallels. Okay, so then we look at this uh, vision interpreted. The first thing is the effect on Daniel. He was grieved in the spirit. What he saw at first didn't give him a whole lot of hope. He was like, this is crazy. Like, look at all these. And he was troubled by this. And so he goes to God and he says, what am I going to do? And so actually he walks over probably to an angel, right? The one that was standing there, probably an angel, maybe Gabriel, I don't know, uh, was there. And and he says, okay, tell me, what, what do these things represent? And he says, just like the statue, the four beasts of the four kingdoms, right? And he gets those. And he talks about, yet the saints of the Most High will receive and possess an everlasting kingdom. Don't have to be troubled. When you look at the scope of the world and what's going to happen, don't let your heart be troubled. <laughs> For Christ overcame the world and has overcoming the world. And so, um, so he gives them a uh, kind of that summary. And then Daniel, he, he wants to know more. He wants to know more about this particularly the fourth beast because it's different, right? The first three are all likened to like animals, and this one is 
different. It's got iron teeth and bronze claws and it tramples things and it's not like a, a beast. And, and he says, I want to know about this. Plus, it's got these crazy horns and this little horn and all of that. What, what's all of this? And, uh, and so the angel says, okay, the ten horns are the ten kings of that last kingdom. When we look at Rome, the ten kings in, in Rome at the time of Christ was there. There's going to be a, a, another king that's going to come up. It's going to uproot the other two. And uh, we see after Christ died, right, and the church begins, there was another boastful king that came up into power, Domitian, and overthrew uh, three uh, other kings and and makes life generally horrible for the church for a short time. And he boasts, and all of, of course, all of the emperors call themselves gods and all these types of things. But but just being uh, the the, uh, wrath that uh, this empire would throw against the early church... (laughs) And it said that there's, uh, the people of God would be subjected to this king, this horrible beast, for a short time. And that the, it would look for a little while, while this new kingdom was being established, that the saints were losing. Right? That the king would, would, for a time, really make it difficult. But ultimately, the people of God would triumph. Which is really fascinating. So then... Uh, uh, this is bothering me. Okay, when, so then Daniel's like, okay, uh, explain this more. He heard what the, the fourth beast was going to do, and then we thought God shows him these things, and he explains it to him in verses 23 to 27, which you already read. And the fourth beast is going to be the fourth empire. It's going to be the Roman Empire, and so it's going to dominate the whole world. We know at the time, basically, the, the, the Roman Empire was considered to be Basically everywhere, north, east, south, and west, right? All around the Mediterranean Sea, they had just conquered. They dominated. And wherever they went, they devoured and they destroyed and trampled down. And, uh, and so it says this is going to happen, the ten kings, so there's the fourth kingdoms that are going to come. And uh, we see that those ten kings probably were the ten kings that were literally ruling when Christ was, uh, came. But it could mean the succession of kings in the empire. That's a, a, a very good interpretation, too, that a lot of scholars and, and Christians hold to. Or it could uh, refer to uh, directly to Revelation uh, 17, uh, verses 12 through 13, where it talks about there's going to be ten kings in the end times, the very end, that the, these ten rulers are going to be there, and this might be a, a tie-in or a foreshadowing of that. Um, another alternate view is that ten in Scripture is a number of completion, because most people have ten fingers and right, ten toes. And so the Scripture, ten is usually a number of, of completion. It just says the full number of kings, the human rule will rule, and when it ends, it ends, right? So it could be that too. You can study yourself if you would like to and get into the weeds on those things. For me, I just know that there were 10 kings when Jesus came, and uh, they were uh, uprooted, and that was pretty cool. Okay, so concerning the little horn, he's going to be different than the first couple kings. He's going to subdue three kings. I think that's an interesting prophecy. And then we see it happen after Christ raises and the church begins, right? When we really see the struggle between church and the state of Rome. Um, He's going to speak pompously against God. He's going to persecute the saints. Um, He's going to try to change the laws and the times. And it's interesting that the empire tried to change the the date, the calendar, um, around his own uh, gods. And then he also, uh, he tried to change the laws to make sure that uh, uh, he himself and his uh, progeny would be the ones that would be worshipped. It's interesting how God, even in the details, he is, he's there. But you know, this little pompous king got these eyeballs and all that he can see. He's got some power for a time. He's really nothing more than a little horn. Um, which is kind of fun. <clears throat> Do it. Okay, so <laughs> then I go too far. Okay, uh, he shall overcome the saints for a while and then yeah, the things. So then um, 
So a period of time is going to pass. This is times, times, and half a time. That's three and a half years, right, in prophetic language. Why did Daniel talk this way? I don't know. Maybe that's how they talked back then, uh, you know. Um, or, I mean, you want to take it literally, three and a half years is going to happen where there's going to be this kind of persecution, right? Uh, or four to two months. Uh, Revelation 13 uh, alludes to this as well. Um, or it could just mean that it's a, a, a definite, um, like half a seven. Seven is God's perfection, right? So it's half of that of timing that uh, this horrible king is going to be there and he's going to make things generally miserable for Christians. But it's going to end, and it's not going to last forever. Concerning the judgment, it talks about this little horn is going to uh, going to be fired. I mean, figuratively, yes, he's going to lose his authority. It's going to be taken away from him, but it's also going to actually be burned, right? It's going to be destroyed. And so uh, then the kingdom and the dominion and all of the power are going to be given to God's people, and they're going to rule forever. That's, we'll see that the people of God, the kingdom of God, ultimately overcomes this giant beast, and the beast will be destroyed. And it'll be an everlasting kingdom, one that's not going to end. <laughs> it's going to start here on earth, and it's going to continue into eternity. Now, some of these things, as depicted in Revelation, is a conflict between the Roman Empire and the church. And we see a lot of that, even in the history books, you see that there was pretty great persecution when the church first started, and then the church overcame, and eventually Rome fell, but the church didn't, and then we had like the Roman Catholic Church, because like the Roman, and the Catholic just means all universal, right? The church begins at the, on the ashes of Rome, quite literally, and continues to expand and to grow. Uh, and so uh, we see that ultimately the prophecy was true. There, were, there was no other great empire that existed after that because the great empire in the world has been the church ever since. Now, there's been a lot of human empires that have come and tried to rule for time. Some of them were subjected to the church in the Middle Ages, a lot of the kings and things like this, all the Christian and all this, but this world is going to pass away. But the kingdom of God has never ended. Isn't that cool? We've had regime changes in all these other countries and all these other continents and all these other places and languages, but there's never been a regime change in, in the kingdom of God. Jesus is still on the throne. And it was predicted. That's when and how it would happen. So the epilogue to this, Daniel says, after he goes through and he gets this description, he still probably doesn't know everything what it is, so he keeps it to himself because you don't tell people, hey, I had this crazy dream. <laughs> right? But he writes it down, sealed up for, for the end. And he, his thoughts troubled him. It's like, okay, God, you're doing something, and I see that you have a plan in history, but it's, it doesn't fully make sense, <laughs> right? If you have all the authority, my question if that was Daniel, if you have already had the authority, why let these beasts even come out of the water? Right? Why do that? But God has got a better handle on reality than we do, and he's got a better handle on history than we do. And so instead of just owning these things or accepting them, God says, just trust me. And so his countenance changed. Daniel is like, okay, this is pretty heavy stuff. But then, you know, he ponders it in his heart, but he continues to move on. And I think that's a good, as we start this series through prophecy, a lot of people get stuck in the weeds and they get stuck in just the, the fear of it, right? That God predicts things and there's going to be bad stuff that comes and all of this. Daniel's like, yeah, some of that stuff I don't get, I don't understand. I'm going to ponder it, I'm going to think about it, but I'm not going to be fixated on it because I know the end of the story, right? That ultimately God wins, and if I'm with God, then I'm in that, right? The kingdom of God is overcoming. And so we can ponder those things, but let's not get preoccupied with them um, to the point that it becomes unhealthy. Oh, come now. I really want to end this for you guys, but my... uh, Oh, go back one. There we go. Okay, so here's the other thing here. Uh, 
when we don't understand what Scripture says, when you go through these things, I think Daniel, who was really wise, shows us in these things probably the best way to go through. So go through and, and meditate on these things, right? Pray to God. Ask him help, right? I did that for the last year as I was studying these things. I was like, how am I going to preach this stuff? Because this was an easy one. The other ones, get, like, especially the 70 weeks, it gets pretty tough and good. Take time when God's word doesn't fully make sense to you to meditate on it. Think about it. Talk to God. Right? That's, that's a really good thing. And as we continue to, to read and study, um, we need to rely, uh, rely on God and his Holy Spirit to help us to understand Scripture as much as we need it, right? To give us the guidance that we have. And so um, I know that when we talk about prophecy, there's a lot of different opinions and views that Christians have come to, and a lot of them are really well-based. So as we start, let's start with a couple of things. One, with humility, recognizing that God is the God of all of eternity and that he told us, let's get the big strokes first. Let's get the big things we can all agree on. With the littler ones, right, with the details and things like this, let's hold things with some humility. I'll tell you, when I started this, this series, when I started studying it, I held some different views. Some things I kept the same and some things I had to change on because as I studied, I realized that, that the weight of evidence was actually not supporting my particular bent, and, and that was really hard for me. And I, and I asked myself, why is it hard for me to change? And the thing was is that what I was told first about Scripture is what I really held to emotionally. Right, so um, when I first became a Christian, there was a certain viewpoint that somebody taught me this in, and I thought, well, because this great teacher taught me this, it must be true, right? And and so then when I had anything that looked a little different, I was a challenge to that, and emotionally, I had this really deep reaction. It was it was real, like saying, like, how dare somebody say that? But then, um, I you know, the logical part of me said, what are the odds that? I, as the only human being in all of history, learned everything absolutely correct the first time. <laughs> if there are other Christians, you know, somebody believes that the Bible is the word of God, if they're applying proper interpretive techniques, using, you know, then we should be able to have that discussion and look into it. And so I would say for you, instead of debating with each other, go and debate with the word. And there are a lot of things that I looked at other perspectives and I would say, no, the weight of the evidence is still... I had. There's a couple things that really challenged me. I would say, be open to that. Because when I did, and I was able to say, God, I want to be submissive to your word, instead of it being submissive to me, um, there was a different level of peace that I was able to find in, in these things. Plus, I mean, for me, like this particular passage, the fact that the coronation, which I believe when Jesus came up in the ascension, that's when the church began, that fixed a whole bunch of, of huge um, problems with the timeline that I had to do a lot of mental gymnastics <laughs> to answer with my previous view, and it made more sense. But it also talked about that the kingdom of God is here now, which is in line with what Jesus says. So as you go through it, study it, be open to these things, and uh, hopefully that they'll help you. So um, as I bring this uh, things to kind of wrapping this up, um, there are some visions that relate to, to events that would start. This, this passage in Jan, Daniel 7 talks about the beginning of the church. Right, this, it's a thing. It's a from from seven hundred years before Jesus came. God points very bright. He puts a spotlight on the time of Christ, and He points exactly how, what it would be like and what would happen at the beginning of the church. I think it's not it's not just the Messiah, but the church as it began, and it said it would begin during the time of the Roman Empire. That's a pretty good guess. I mean, it happened that the church began. Jesus was born the days of Caesar Augustus. Think about the prophecy that it would begin with Jesus' ascension, that the, that, the, that the church itself, 
the kingdom of God. There was a coronation. It began with the ascension. Think how amazing that is. That, I mean, the prophet couldn't even have invented an ascension in his mind. And yet it happened. <laughs> or like this, that, uh, that the kingdom of God would experience great persecution at the outset. Right? That there's going to be political turmoil and there's going to be some people in power and they're going to speak pompously against God and they're going to come against the church and the church is going to, be, going to go through great persecution, but it would end. And ultimately the church would be victorious and we've seen that very thing happen. That's amazing. I think it's interesting. You go to Rome today, you will see the ruins of the Roman Empire, but you will see churches that still stand. The kingdom of God exists. This is an amazing prophecy. And if we look at these prophecies, it's fulfilled. When we look back at this, it gives us some sense of this, what is written in the word did not just come from, from human hands, right? Or human thought. Who could predict these things? But God told us, and it validates that what's in this book is more than just what came from people. I mean, this is the precision of it. But it also helps us know that it speaks with authority for us. So how do we apply this? You know, it's, it's interesting when we go through prophecy, how do you apply these things to your life, especially fulfilled prophecy, right? It's not like, you say, hey, hope for the Roman Empire, it'll be destroyed. So what are some things that you can do? Well, take out your connection card. I thought long and hard, prayed about it, and say, God, what, do, what should we do? <laughs> Here are some ideas. On the back of your connection card, there's a couple of things that you can do. Maybe you need to memorize Daniel 7.27. Right now, in our political climate, and the, the new cycle that we're in, we're from one crisis to the next to the next. We are told from every side, from biased sources, from everywhere, that God is losing, that God is dead. Those are pompous horns talking about stuff they have no idea what they're talking about. God wins. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all rulers will worship and obey him. That's the promise of God. And if God predicted that Jesus has come so specifically like he did in Daniel's time, then he predicts this too, and I can cling to that. So I don't have to be worried. I don't have to be like, oh, no, the, you know, the sky is falling. No, no, it will fall, but, uh, but we will stand. The kingdom was everlasting. Maybe what you need to do this week is not just memorize that passage, but what something you could do is, is read Daniel 7. I went through it quickly. Spend some time with it. Read it. Study it. Maybe I said some things that were a little different than what you learned. Look, discuss it. Think about it. You know, study this. It's there for us. Or maybe what you can do is pray for the persecuted church. The kingdom of God is expanding and advancing rapidly throughout the world. It is. But there is still persecution, isn't it? And there are brothers and sisters in Christ. And just because God overcomes doesn't mean that the, that the tears of the martyrs doesn't matter. In fact, in the Revelation, it says God will eventually wipe away all of those tears. He sees them all. We're called to care for one another. So maybe this week is what you do is recognize that, that the faith is not just about you. You know, you know, it's not just Daniel 1 through 6. It's all just personal. Some things we have to recognize, it's not just about us, that we're part of a bigger plan, and that we're part of something much bigger than ourselves, and the church is so much more than who are here. So maybe what you begin this week is say, God, expand my heart for your people, your church. Empower them. Not just take away the persecution, but drive them through it. Use the persecution and the pain to build something better. Give them everything they need, protection and provision. Stand with our brothers and sisters. Or maybe this is what you do is you say, I'm going to be here the next six weeks because you want to learn about prophecy and also it's what God wants you to do. Right? And the word is true. And this is not just some institution that was created by people, that there is an authority over us and there's a purpose in life and being part of the church matters.
And so you say, I'm going to start with a very practical thing, is I'm going to be present. That's a great way to start. What a great way to start the new year. Whatever it is, I'm encouraging you to take your connection card, make your, con- your commitment or some, maybe something different, write that down. Also, if you have a prayer request, this is a great opportunity to tell me how to pray because the God who controls all of history is also in control of our life today, and he wants to hear from us, and he does answer prayers. Let me know how to pray. And in a minute, we'll take our offering. Take our offering. Put these uh, connection cards in the basket, and uh, we'll see what God does. So let's pray for this and for our offering, and uh, let's do that now. Father God, we are grateful to you and for you. You are good and you are powerful, but you are also loving and kind. I thank you that you're not surprised by this world, not even the slightest, that you are not intimidated by beasts of this world, that they don't scare you even in the slightest, that any time, any moment, you can remove their power, give them power. As far as humans, we think we're in control of this world and of our lives, but the reality is, God, that you have so much more control. I pray, Father, that you would give us the wisdom and the peace to wrest control of our lives to you. Now, use our life for the building of your kingdom and not our own temporary kingdoms. Father, teach us how to love the way that you loved. Father, I pray as we go through this series of Daniel that uh, as your word would bring its hope and its truth into our lives, Father, that you would cause us to become more faithful in the midst of it. And Lord, that you would enable us and empower us to build your kingdom even here in Estes Park. I pray for these commitments that are made. Help us keep those in a way that honors you, Father. I pray for the, for the tithes, the offerings, that we have the opportunity to invest in your eternal kingdom. Lord, use those greatly, please. Give us the wisdom of the church not to squander those resources, but to use them according to your will. But Father, in all of these things, we're going to pray that you be honored. And uh, we ask that in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. <laughs>